Support for Waveform comes from Anthropic. So looking for an AI solution for a business, it might be time to check out the Claude 3 family from Anthropic, your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. So whether you're powering a customer chat experience or doing complex R&D or need advanced analysis, Anthropic can help provide you with frontier intelligence. So if you're looking for speed, power, or anything in between, the Claude 3 family offers AI models for a variety of tasks and budgets. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Waveform. We're your hosts. I'm Marquez Brownlee. And I'm Andrew Manganelli. And in today's episode, we got a bunch of different stuff. So we'll start off with some thoughts on Super Bowl ads coming from a YouTube channel's perspective and some other chit chat. Then we got our special guest, one of my favorite YouTubers, tech YouTuber and podcaster, Sarah Dietschy. Well, she'll give me some advice. And then after that, we got a couple big product announcements we can talk about. So let's go ahead and dive right in. It's February. Let's go. Yeah, so uh, we'll do a little recap first. Um, I think there's only been two videos since our last one, and one of them is, isn't is too enticing. It's just the diamond play button. Just oh, yeah. the diamond play it's button. It's just the it's diamond crazy play that button. Um, so yeah, we've already thanked everyone for 10 million. Um, we'll do it again yeah. because it's amazing. No, um, it's, un- it's unreal. I, I remember I, I got an email from my YouTube channel rep, like, uh, do you... Do you want us to uh, rush this shipment of the of the diamond play button? I was like, there's no world where I say no to that. Yeah, so right. definitely, yes. Let's just get that in here as fast as possible. You guys saw the box and the unboxing. It is the YouTube uh, a reward. And I, I mentioned it in the video, YouTube is the only platform that does this. And I, I yeah. think it's wild that they are. They're one of the biggest platforms as far as creator-driven stuff where there's mm-hmm. like millions and millions of people uploading to it. But Facebook doesn't give rewards to, you know, physical rewards to creators. Yeah. Instagram doesn't. TikTok doesn't. I don't Twitter think doesn't. So, yeah. so, yeah, this was uh, literally just YouTube's way of recognizing the channel, passing 10 million subscribers. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because it came in on like a Friday as we were leaving. And yeah, I wanted to see it. Vin and Brandon were here and we all wanted to see it. But you were like, I want to do an unboxing. I on really this. want to do an unboxing. So yeah. we had to all leave and not actually get to see it. So I, I saw the video first, and I was like, "There's no way that can actually be that heavy." And I came in; no one was here. I saw it on the table, and I went to pick it up, and I was like, "Oh my god, it this is, is heavy, that man. might be almost as heavy as the giant frame for one million. And that, yeah. Wait, let's get the scale. Did you did you weigh it? I weighed the play button, and it was. It was pretty heavy, and I think I compared it to a couple to like a bunch to two MacBook Pros oh, stacked okay, together or yeah, something yeah. like that. Uh, we can weigh the. Oh, didn't you compare it to a bottle, of, a two-liter bottle of soda? Oh yeah, I think that was wrong. Did you look that up? I yeah, because somebody was up. like, "What kind of soda are you drinking?" Yeah, there was like three comparisons. One of them was like a a, a watermelon. And okay. I was like, that seems about right. That sounds reasonable. Yeah. And then the other was a two-liter bottle of soda, which I think that's nowhere near the. Yeah, I think way. it's heavier than that. Yeah, There's funny. So, so we use the podcast to talk about inaccuracies we've made, <laughs> and so that was that was the real big one. We are sorry. Fact check. It is heavier than a two liter bottle of soda. It is definitely heavier. There's okay. a fact check. There we go. Um. Anyway, so that was <laughs> the one video. The other was uh, a little bit of a question of, are we at peak smartphone? And this is actually something we talked about a couple times before. We mm-hmm. also talked about it with Sarah and on her podcast, but uh. 
spoiler, uh, yes and no yeah, was sort of my answer. Both. And we, we sort of dove into that. But this is a question I get asked so many times. I figured putting it in video form so I can point people to it later yeah. uh, was the best way to do that. So do you want to do like a, a really quick TLDR? Uh, okay, longer than yes, but no, but not as long as the video, just for people who haven't gotten to see it. Sure, a medium, a medium TLDR. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so the question is, smartphones have been getting slowly better for the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. But if you remember the days back in like 2007, 2008, 2009, we were getting these gigantic jumps, yeah. these leaps forward. Holy crap, a 5.4 inch display? <laughs> these are massive phones now. Whoa, a 1080p phone? Like everything they did was this drastic, uh, like really important change. And this is from one generation to the next. Mm -hmm. So you can never really rest too long especially for me as like a tech reviewer to on one smartphone or you'd just be way behind. Yeah. Now you could have a Galaxy S9 and not even think twice about, I don't need a Galaxy S10. Yeah. Um, so Yeah, we question, were just talking about that also the other day about how Samsung might be one of the best companies to follow if you want to buy a phone that's one year old. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like they get so cheap and they're so little different from the next year. I think that or an iPhone is, yeah, uh, iPhone's is probably great. best. iPhone holds its value so well, though. Very so well. I don't know how good of a price you're getting a yeah. year later. So with all that noted, the question was like, now that everything's slowed down and all the smartphones kind of feel the same, like they're all a glass sandwich, they're all pretty thin. Nothing's mm -hmm. like dramatically thinner or better. The cameras are all pretty good. Are we at like the end of smartphones? And the answer for me was, yeah, you're right about all of that, but also we have folding phones mm -hmm. out of nowhere. Also we have high refresh rate coming up out of nowhere. And we still have these meaningful differences that you have to pay attention to. And so I compared it to cars, uh, and that was my version of the medium TLDR. So yeah, for you watch like, that video. Yeah, cool. Uh, and then, so we're going to do something. We do this content we like segment here, which usually is YouTube videos, but we were just kind of talking about the Super Bowl, and I thought this was a, a perfect place to kind of rant about something here that I was thinking during the Super Bowl. Let's talk uh, about it. All right, so first off, was there... And did you watch the Super Bowl? I watched the Super Bowl. Okay. I think I pretty much every year in some capacity watched the Super Bowl. Okay. This year, I actually sat down and watched from start to finish. I would say this year's the the time I spent or paid attention to it the least. Yeah. I, I was at a like small get together, like six or seven people. And there were literally points where I would look and be like, it's almost done with the second quarter. And I paid like zero attention <laughs> to anything in this. Um, it helps that it was a pretty good game. So I don't. Yeah, watch I missed that it. Much. Claire and I left after the third because like oh, nothing man. happened. You and... left after the third, so you didn't yeah. see the comeback. No, oh, yeah, man, it was a, it was a legitimately good football game. Yeah, it so sounded good. I remember, actually, I remember finding out the comeback happened because as we were driving home, we passed this sports bar near me, and I could see inside, and I saw red jerseys celebrating, and I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> they were down ten, and like they had just thrown an interception right before we left, and right. I'm like, they have no chance here. I'm like, why are they celebrating? Did like something happen? And then I looked on my phone and they were ahead. Yeah. And there was like a minute left. And I was like, it was okay, pretty wild. Wow. It was impressive. I can't believe we missed that. So anyways, we're not so much talking about the game, but was there a Super Bowl has been known? People will watch it for just the commercials. That's, True. First of all, that's an insane thing to say out loud. Like who watches TV just for commercials? That's usually the point of TV that you hate. Mm -hmm. um, were there any that you specifically like? 
Well, okay, not really. Yeah. <laughs> I watched the entire Super Bowl. It's kind of funny. I think back, maybe this was in high school, maybe a little bit before that. I remember getting an assignment from a teacher really? to watch the Super Bowl specifically for the ads okay. and take notes on the commercials because it's the Super Bowl. It's one of the most widely viewed single TV events every single year, yeah. you know, 70, 80, 90 million people all watching at once. So this is, if you're an advertiser or if you're a company that wants to put an ad, this is your chance yeah. to show the world to reach the most eyes your new product Easy. your your mission your statement whatever you want to give them this is this is your chance this is mm -hmm. the big moment for you 30 seconds do it uh and so i remember like this you know people t must take this really seriously like these super bowl commercials are yeah. like the pinnacle of some people's careers um this year watching those commercials it was like <laughs> they're yeah, pretty bad honestly like if you took them if you took them out of the context of this is a super bowl yeah, commercial yeah. some of them were like honestly sort of confusing like what am i watching <laughs> a commercial for why are these celebrities involved at all uh -huh. it almost seems like a prerequisite that you need to have at least one or two a-listers sure. in your commercial that's that's like the the cookie cutter commercial for the super bowl right, right. Now, yeah you could almost probably make a parody of a super bowl commercial right now which is just like two or three a-listers who have nothing to do with each other all spontaneously showing up what was the one um, that clearly don't actually use the product in oh real absolutely life. they do uh, not use that product. John, john legend and um and chrissy Teigen. Uh, yeah driving that like driving the car Hyundai they don't Genesis, drive yeah uh, <laughs> so like there's, yeah, a, there's a lot of them like that. And just in general, to me, the tone of a lot of them felt uh, just like chaotic, kind of like YouTube Rewind, not even going to lie. <laughs> um, or this it's just the, like the YouTube Rewind of commercials, Super I Bowl might, commercials. I might have tweeted that last year. Really? Super Bowl commercials are the YouTube Rewind of the advertising agencies. Like It's turned years. into that. It, it used to be. And I think the reason the Super Bowl has such a stigma for commercials is they used to make really, really good commercials. There I are mean, some classics. There are some great ones. I'll, I'll always think my favorite, I think it was for- Before you say it, I know yeah. what it is. I don't think you know what it is. Or I have don't. I said this story already? No, but there's one that everyone always loves. And oh, I, I've never heard anyone else say the one that I talked about, oh, okay. but so go, for, go, go I mean, the one that everyone loves is the Volkswagen Star Wars kid commercial where he okay. points at the car. Yes, that was, that was fairly remote recent. Start. Yeah, that right? was a year or two ago. Okay, yeah. That's probably got to be one of the last ones I remember being like, wow, that was that was really good. Great um, ad. One of my favorites, I was much younger, and it kind of goes on with why we're talking about here, but- it was just two old men sitting in like a driveway and they had a chimpanzee and that's it for like 30 seconds or maybe like 25 seconds and the last five seconds was just like, we just spent $5 million on this ad. What do you do with your money? And then had the like banking, okay, whatever. Fair. <laughs> like I thought that was hilarious. It was the perfect just like parody of what Super Bowl commercials are. It was yeah. funny. It made you actually pay attention to it and it was hilarious. But now we're getting... The Planner's Baby Nut commercial was like, I was embarrassed when I watched that. Okay, I, I hated that because uh -huh. it was so predictable. It was, sh it was I remember, a shameless ripoff of yeah, Baby Yoda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whenever you see the uh, the Planters, earlier in the week, I think it was, they mm -hmm. announced on Twitter they were killing the mascot. Yeah, yeah. I was like, well, that's dumb, but it's a PR stunt. So and it was working. They're going to bring it back at some point. It's just a matter of when. Mm -hmm. They're killing their beloved character. They've obviously planned this. And then sure enough, Super Bowl commercial, baby, baby, I what is know. it, baby planter? Baby nut is what baby everyone's nut. called. Jeez. Yeah. Um, I blocked that on Twitter. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, But anyway, so kind of going back to it, we were talking about how all of these commercials seem to be really bad, mm -hmm. even though this is like 
this is not just the Super Bowl, but it's the Super Bowl of commercials. Like yep. this is the ma- the best time to advertise to reach the most eyes. So because of that, it costs you tweeted like five point six million dollars for a thirty second ad. Yeah, that's insane. So I t- here's what happened. I was I was looking it up just because every year I'm always curious about the numbers of these things. And you know the Super Bowl peaked a couple years ago. A little over 110 million people watched. Wow. Now it's a little under 100 million. And I was just kind of curious, what, how much would it be? How much are these companies paying for a Super Bowl ad? Mm-hmm. Looked it up. So 5.6 million dollars for a 30 second spot. It also depends on when during yeah, the game yeah, it I'm is, sure. and obviously the networks have their deals. Um, so I, I found that number, and I thought it was fascinating. And I didn't really have anything else to compare it to, yeah. so I just tweeted that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny actually I got a reply Mr. Beast replied saying not only is it 5.6 million dollars but you have to pay for the celebrities in your commercial yeah, yeah. those A-listers and apparently according to Mr. Beast you also have to commit to more millions of dollars of spending on that network for later in the year really? too, just to get the opportunity to pay for a Super Bowl ad um, and I also said, wait, why do you know all that? <laughs> he said, 2021, you'll see. Oh, so God. maybe there will be some Mr. Beast related Super Bowl content coming sometime. That's hilarious. I guess he <laughs> did do that thing on the Super Bowl, the sub to PewDiePie thing last year. Right, that was I'm at sure. the game in person. Yeah, he had to go to that. But anyways, let's just go, let's just assume we're not talking about A-list celebrities. We're not talking about production costs. We're not talking about future segments on the channel. We're just talking about 5.6 million. For 30 seconds. For 30 seconds. For 90 Let's, million eyeballs one night. 90 million. So that's the thing is you're reaching a super broad audience. Like we're going to compare this in a second to what you could do advertising on social media and kind of how we see advertisers, mm-hmm. but you're you're never going to reach 90 million. It's going to be very hard to reach 90 million right. on YouTube. But here's the thing about the mm-hmm. 90 million number yeah, exactly. is it is very inflated mm-hmm. and it is almost like a billboard in that it's not really targeted. Yeah. Uh, I kind of think of it like a billboard because when you see a billboard, you're like, mm, this, It may, maybe there's a URL up there or a phone number, but you're obviously not tracking conversion. This mm-hmm. is more of a legitimacy thing. Like when I see, and like when Apple doesn't have True. to put ads over the Holland Tunnel, but yeah. they do. And that's because the 90 million people who drive into New York City will just get a glimpse of the iPhone before they go into New York every day. And they'll recognize, yep, Apple's legit. They got money. They got billboards. Yeah. Um, and I kind of think of it the same way. There is no real target demographic of None at a all. Super Bowl. Everyone's watching. Everyone's the watching way. the Super Bowl. Because even if you don't like the commercials or you don't like the game, chances are you just have a bunch of friends who do like it and you want to hang out with friends and, yeah. and eat. And I go to Super way, Bowl parties because there's good food. That's, right, and like how much football do you watch during the year? None, literally exactly. none. Yeah. I, I'd be willing to bet probably more than half of the people watching the Super Bowl aren't watching it because it's the championship game, mm-hmm. who will win? They're watching it because it's a cultural event and exactly. it's a Super Bowl and you turn the TV on and you have some friends over and there's some funny ads and maybe a cool game happens. In yeah. Between. So that's that's basically what the Super Bowl is. And so when I thought about all that, I started thinking, what could you do with that those $5.6 million, yeah. if you had a product that you really wanted to get out, like let's forget the just getting your brand out there mm-hmm. or just making a statement about your company. Let's say you really did have a product or a campaign like Porsche Taycan. Yep. They had a pretty good Super Bowl ad, but let's say you wanted to do it different and do it just on the internet. Just how much more effective you could be with $5.5 million. Yeah. And I think the thing you have to keep in mind is you probably would not reach 90 million eyeballs. No. But you could probably reach 10 million 
much more likely buyers oh, yeah. than the 90 million it, just ambiently watching a Super Bowl. Just straight due to demographics of like, I mean, Porsche Taycan, very expensive, mm-hmm. but you can probably pull out demographics of a uh, a person's salary range and a person's age that would most likely be in that salary range looking yeah. for a car. Like you're not targeting a car commercial at kids eight to 13. Yeah. It makes no sense. Or you're not doing it at people in their nineties, probably like that's not that big of a deal. I'm sure there's not a lot of 90 year olds. <laughs> there's watching a couple of 90 year olds. But still there's your, the Super Bowl demographic is literally everybody. Whereas you bring it down. Let's just talk about YouTube because that's what we know the best. Those demographics get super, super close. And Very you can specific. find people that are also watching videos that like, that are watching EV car stuff or tech stuff or Porsche stuff, not even just car stuff in general. Like that's who you want to hit. Mm-hmm. So you're getting so much more targeted with all of that. It's, and how much do you think something like that would cost? Hmm. It would cost way less than $5.6 million to reach yeah. $10 million. I, I would just be super curious if you went to Google AdWords and just said, I want to run this Porsche 30-second ad. Yeah. Instead of paying $5.5 million for the Super Bowl, let's take that same budget. We already made the commercial. Mm-hmm. Scrap the Super Bowl and put $5 million into Google AdWords and put it in front mm-hmm. of car videos for the next month. Can you imagine? It would, I mean, it would have million? it would have ninety million views, I think, because oh, it yeah. runs so much. But like those people that you'd be reaching would now specifically be what Porsche can decide. Like, I want to run to people in Germany. I want to run to people in the yeah. U.S. who are wealthy. I want to run to people who have bought a Porsche already. I want to run it to people who've bought a Lincoln because we're, I mean, we we're watching Porsche videos who are just interested in yeah. Porsche. Like. I want to target every EV channel, everyone who's made mm-hmm. an electric vehicle, and you can get super granular. So again. And it kind of sounds like maybe I'm defending the Super Bowl commercial, but it's such, it's so different. It's just yeah. a billboard, in my opinion. Yeah. Like, you're not targeting anyone. The fact that you have that Super Bowl commercial is going to live on your website forever. It's going to be in your portfolio. It's just the thing that you can say you did because you work for a big, great company, and that's their pinnacle advertising moment every year. Mm-hmm. Um, just the same way Apple blows tons of money on a billboard over Holland Tunnel every year. They don't have to do it. And it probably isn't targeted at all to any normal, you know, demographic, but you do get a lot of eyeballs and you do get that sort of sense of, yeah, we're legit. Yeah. So it's more of a status symbol now than something that's actually helping the company out. Right. Um, Yeah. I think the other thing people don't think about on YouTube as much is, and especially it comes with integrated videos, like integrated advertising on videos, like a sponsored whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Imagine if... Porsche Taycan right now, just using staying on this example, and we'll talk about kind of like the exclusivity of no one has a Taycan really right now. Mm-hmm. Porsche could come to a, an EV car channel or even just a car channel. Give them um, any channel like that would make a video on it if they were just given the chance to make a video on sure. it. Sure. So that would yeah. literally be free. Let's say it gets 5 million views. Mm-hmm. Those 5 million views are people who are specifically clicking on the video Seeking to out. watch basically an advertisement. I mean, yes, we like like YouTube channels bring way more to the page than just an advertisement, but mm-hmm. like 5 million views for essentially free, just letting someone do a video on your car, you're doing absolutely zero work and you're getting every single view on that is somebody who basically said, I want to watch this commercial, not the person watching the Super Bowl who's like, it's time for a bathroom break. Yeah. There's more wings over on the table. I'm going to look at Twitter right I'm now. I'm going to look like, at my phone. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, 
the commercial whole all of commercials are i think are i hadn't thought about it like you did to me they just seem like utter wastes especially with a smartphone now like commercial time is my time to look at my phone yeah um and just um, maybe even watch another youtube video that has ads on it that i'll probably pay more <laughs> attention to on my phone than on the the tv so 5.6 million dollars just seems like one of the most ineffective ways to spend ad money. Yeah, it's a, right it's now. a gigantic number. And, you know, the more I think about, um, I know I like to crap on billboards all the time because it's mm -hmm. like, obviously there's no analytics and there's no tracking and yeah. why would you ever do that? But there are smaller commercials and there are smaller billboards that are uh, a little bit somewhat tracked. You know, you put them in an area near your restaurant to get people to go to it. That's yeah. like a billboard situation. Um, there are obviously commercials you don't spend $5 million on, but you can put them on a certain channel in between a certain show because you know that's a certain demographic so there are there are ways to go about this and they're still very very popular but it's just funny the the gigantic number you get from like the pinnacle like the most expensive tv ad i kind of want to know what's the most expensive billboard ad that you can pay for i would bet that one over the hall that tunnel one over the tunnel very it very might be. close to the top at least in the united states yeah i mean that's um, a high traffic area and it's always it got an literally ad. traffic 99 percent of the time yeah and, but that's huh. that's your eyeballs that's for pretty you, cool so. i would love to see some deep research into now you're making me think of billboards so we should probably cut this segment off before it's an hour let's long. not go deep into um, billboards on but the i would podcast. love like a, i would be super interested in a really deep uh research between like social media ads and the amount of the conversion rate on something like that versus like a Super Bowl ad. Yeah. Um, also, just in general, can we make Super Bowl ads like good again? Yeah. I would be so much. I just, I didn't like any of them. The Rick and Morty one was like okay, but that's just because Rick and Morty is fun. Yeah. Like, I, I that's a that's a lot of those ads is they're they're banking on you liking one of the celebrities yeah. in them, and hopefully you'll pay attention to the message after that. Oh, that that Verizon five G one's yeah, terrible. There's also. some pretty bad ones. Um, okay. Cool. All right, rant yeah. over. <laughs> we won't dive too deep into billboards, but hey, Mr. Beast, if you're listening, make Super Bowl ads good again. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> let's take a quick break, and then when we'll come back, we'll have Sarah Dietschy, Rhymes with Peachy, on the podcast, and we'll talk a little bit about YouTube, starting up, advice, the whole game. Be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Support for Waveform comes from Coda. So it can be tough to stay organized when your team is spread across time zones. With Coda, you can help keep your whole team on the same page with an all-in-one collaborative workspace that brings together the best of documents, spreadsheets, and apps into one platform. That means less time ping-ponging between different tabs and tools and more time on your projects. So with Coda's extensive planning capabilities, you can stay aligned when managing planning cycles and while measuring objectives and key results. Plus, you can access hundreds of templates and get inspired by others in Coda's gallery. So over 50,000 teams across the world collaborate with Coda, from the New York Times to Square, uh, from Toast to TED and Uber. So if you want a platform that enables and empowers your team to collaborate effectively and focus on shared goals, you can get started with Coda today for free. You can head over to coda.io slash wave. So that's coda, C-O-D-A, Dot io 
slash wave to get started for free. Coda.io forward slash wave. All right, welcome back to Waveform. We are joined by YouTuber and fellow podcaster, Sarah Dietschy. Welcome. Ooh, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. Um, I had all kinds of questions. I listened to your podcast, the oh, Creative Life you. Podcast. It's one of my favorites, and it goes way in depth into not just like interviewing people, but the actual creative process, which was our last episode, mm-hmm. was our own creative process. <laughs> I loved it, by the way. Thank you. Oh, yeah. oh you I listened to it. it. I listened to it on the way here. Oh God, if, if I could blush, I would be. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, when I, when we could get you on the podcast, I was trying to think what I could ask you about, mm-hmm. and we just recorded an episode on your podcast where you asked the exact question <laughs> that I wanted to ask you. But I'll preface it a little bit before cool. we get into that. Um, let me just start with. So we've both been doing YouTube for a number of years mm-hmm. and we both have our own like paths to to making different styles of videos. And you've interviewed all kinds of people from, here I have a list actually. Oh, You've talked to Gary Vee, mm-hmm. L Mills, Peter McKinnon, and some of the tech guys. Mm-hmm. Um, with all that like in your back pocket, what sort of advice would you give to someone let's say starting a tech channel right now in 2020 mm. because i get Ooh. asked to give advice about that sort of thing on yeah. the regular and i just i feel like i can't which is so funny because i feel like you got a lot of history of coming into a space and just owning it i mean the fact that waveform is so successful right now um is just proof of that so I feel like well, that was built on the backs of other things <laughs> I know, too i know i know um but definitely for and i think you would probably agree to this is whenever you're starting anything, you have to kind of notice what is lacking in whatever space that you're in. So in, I posted my first video on YouTube in 2011, but I wasn't consistent until like 2014. And around then I, I don't know if you watch MTV Cribs, anyone? Mm -hmm. Okay. So I was obsessed with that show Mm -hmm. and I was so infuriated that they were focusing on what was in like 50 cents refrigerator. And I was like, no, show me his studio, (laughs) right? Like show me how he makes a song. Um, So even in 2014, even though it wasn't that long ago, um, creative process was still not shared a ton. And I was so curious about that. I mean, that's how I learned. I never learned through school um, in terms of creative (laughs) stuff. I just didn't. Um, Yeah, I basically asked questions of my friends who were doing it and I was just kind of like poking in other people's worlds and figuring it out so I was like man if I could share this with people um, on the interweb Mm-hmm. and you know could kind of expose create a process it's not just fun to watch but i feel like it could help people too i, I mean fast forward to 2019 2020 we have the legends peter mckinnon and you know everyone who is so comfortable sharing process but mm-hmm. um years ago that was not a thing i think it was hey i want to keep this close to my chest because how i got that photo how i got that video is a secret and if i share it with people it feels proprietary exactly yeah, feels, exactly yeah um but what i've learned though and i think you could maybe attest to this is even if you share your biggest secrets how you got that one shot how you edited that one thing actually applying it is very difficult tell the story oh yeah. yeah so you know even you mentioned gary v i mean he's out there he's not you know, he always says he hates being called a motivational speaker. Um, but he's always given away secret sauce of, you know, running a thousand person agency, but he can do that because he'll do a talk and like 3% of people might apply it. So I think now that the fear has gone away, um, 
people are super comfortable with that. And uh, now it's cool because everyone shares everything now, right? right? So you found, so you sort of found that niche of like, okay, I want to get, I want to peel back the curtain a little mm -hmm. bit on the creative process for some of the most interesting people. Yeah. Do you think there are still niches to fill on YouTube? Yeah. Oh gosh, that's a great, because it's so saturated, right? I yeah. mean, I think there is always things to explore. I mean, the fact that slime became one of the biggest genres on YouTube. Slime? Slime. Like, making slime. Yeah, like yeah. making slime. Oh, Marquez, do you not know about slime? I don't. Okay, so check out Karina Garcia. She's one of the queens. Okay. Okay. Slime queen? She's one of the slime queens, <laughs> oh, no. okay? So it really started with ASMR stuff, but it really got creative and like different colors and like making it, you know, like stirring up the concoctions and then showing that. See, <laughs> this is huge. All this like stuff. The, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so when I think of like, I think when I think of YouTube right now in 2020 and like every possible niche being saturated, yeah. like even in tech, like when I started, I could count on two hands how many tech YouTubers there were mm -hmm. and I could tell what each one of them was doing differently. It was like, there was me, there was Chris Perillo, mm -hmm. there was Austin Evans, there was Soldier Knows Best, there was John Rettinger, and there was, you know, John from TLD came up and there's maybe three or four more. Yeah, All I, of Justine. Us, Justine, a uh, couple OGs, like maybe like nine of us. Yeah. And everyone had their own angle. It was clear cut. Yeah. Now in 2020, when I look at just tech on YouTube, which yeah. used to be its own <laughs> genre, now there's like the tech rumor channels and the the tech, mm -hmm. the negative tech rumor channels. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then there's the tech criticism channels. And mm -hmm. then there's the positive tech motivational channel. Like there's so many yeah. different like niches inside of tech already that it almost feels impossible to carve out yeah. your own new one. I feel like we can both speak to anytime you make content that revolves around negativity, you might get numbers in the beginning, but it's not going to be good long term. I mean, I don't think you've ever, you've been critical of tech, yeah. but I don't think you've ever called out a specific person or gotten personal with anything. No, yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's probably some big advice for anything that you're doing professional. I think you'll find that people are very accepting in this community. I mean, you, Austin Evans, Jonathan, Justine, um, you know, I definitely came late, but all of you guys were so accepting of not just me, but a lot of the, the newer people. Um, but if I was out here making videos, like tearing you down, yep. <laughs> probably wouldn't have been- Interesting. You know, as responsive. And so I think whatever you're doing, um, and if you're enabling creativity, you're involving people. Uh, some of my first videos, I wasn't even in front of the camera. So I wasn't acting like I knew what I was doing until I actually had that experience. So all of my early creative docu-series was pointing to other people. So I think in the beginning, documenting is a is a really good way to, to start out. Right. Do you know who, so tech is so saturated, like we said, and yeah. I, I was trying to think of what could come out that was new, but then I think about Jerry Rig Everything. He's pretty yeah. new and he mm -hmm. brought something out that yeah. no one else has done and he is exploded. And it's so yeah. Yeah. He does a great thing. It's pretty simple. I mean, knowing all of that is yeah. super hard, but his That's setup is super simple and he just he hit five million recently, didn't he? He's five just exploded million? the last couple of years. And you know what? I'm just gonna say it. You know what's a common theme between all these people? They're nice people. Oh yeah. True. Like That's all the mm -hmm. 
I don't know if this is like unique to the tech community because I've I, we go to CES and we go to these events yeah. and you've been there and we've like we all talk to each other mm-hmm. and <laughs> I've had people from outside of the tech community sort of ask like who's your biggest rival like what would you consider your enemy and I I, I don't know if they expect me to name another YouTuber or something but I I do see in random other communities a fair amount of either drama or like mm-hmm. conflict where it feels like in the tech community, it's merely difference of opinion at worst. Yeah. Like, I like yeah. this phone, you don't, let's talk about it. Like yeah. it doesn't really get much more negative than that, which I think is good. Um, but on the it, other hand, we're all kind of just, we're all nerds pointing cameras exactly. at pieces of tech, so how bad could I, it get? I think there's a little bit more of self-awareness of we know that, okay, this is a cool job, it's, we're not rocket scientists, right? And we're all, we're all just out here trying to have fun. But yeah, the makeup community and maybe more of the mainstream, uh, but you are mainstream, so I don't know. Maybe the tech is just this beautiful bubble that we need someone to come in here and shake things up. We've made our own little city. There's a few small channels recently, I think, that <laughs> yeah, have gone true. a little bit. Uh, we've definitely noticed, but yeah. other than that, I would say 99% of yeah. this community. I mean, coming into it as someone who's now working for Marquez and, right. and knew nobody, Every time I met someone, they've been the nicest people ever. Yeah. I, there's not a single like influencer or tech community person I've met that mm-hmm. hasn't been more than nice and come up to me and introduce themselves and everything. Yeah. So it's been great. Yeah, maybe we are in a bubble. Yeah, maybe Probably. this is pretty much this yeah. is a little <laughs> beautiful <laughs> little bubble. I think one. it could be encouraging to people, you know, in the in the wave of I love shows like Mad Men or the movie, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio. I'm blanking on the title of like making money while. Uh, Wolf, oh, of Wall Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. And, you know, even I'm like, I see these movies. I'm like, oh, Don Draper and like all these people. And sometimes you get the, even looking at Steve Jobs and what people have, see, uh, you know, heard about him. And I think people get this impression in order to uh, make a name for yourself. You have to be a certain way. But I think we're, I think we're making a good case for being nice. Yeah, I think it's it's funny because we're in a in tech industry. It's sort of it pans out differently from tech media, mm-hmm. where like if you're in tech with like making a product, right? There's a pie of market share, mm-hmm. and in order to make your slice bigger, you have to take from no, someone yeah. else, pretty much, unless you're making a new market, which is very rare. Uh, so that competition, where you're like going up against your rival, it right. makes sense for you know companies to an- analyze that mm-hmm. that rivalry. Uh, but for us, like hashtag Team Internet, like the the pie is growing. Yeah. Like there are new slots, new niches to so fill, true. new things to do. Uh, but I also, I want to ask you about a different angle on this. Maybe not just in tech, but in a lot of different communities. <laughs> in a lot of different communities on YouTube, uh, making high quality video mm-hmm. is another sort of staple, especially in tech. Um, you don't have to go all the way up to the red cameras and 8K, but even you're shooting here with the GH5s mm-hmm. and everything's 4K, it feels like at least 1080. Mm-hmm. Um, is that a barrier to a new channel coming up in 2020? If you're 15 yeah. years old and you just get really into tech, is that yeah. gonna stop you from being able to make good videos? You know what's funny? That was my edge in the beginning, but I almost, I mean, I'm always trying to make things look better, but I almost went in the opposite way once this second wave of creator, like once the Mango Street and Peter McKinnon and all those guys came through and we're shooting this like gorgeous B-roll, I almost went the opposite in terms of like, okay, maybe mine needs to be a little bit like personality based, Mm -hmm. a little bit more talking to the camera because I think people are getting their B-roll fix over here. And if I can't, if I can't do B-roll like Pete, 
then you know maybe I can like go over here so in the beginning uh that's what helped uh make me stand out was like mm -hmm the quality in you know my original creative spaces tv docuseries it was something that looked great the story was good i wasn't even in them um and i could really pride myself on that and then it's so funny it, these creators like took it to another level and then i was like okay <laughs> i think i need to shift a little bit right. um but it's a good point in that i think you can make an amazing youtube channel with just your phone so i don't think that is that's definitely true 100%. I mean, uh, my boyfriend, John Hill, he's a skateboard YouTuber. He has 700,000 subscribers on YouTube. His views are better than ever. And he just uh, switched to only filming with his iPhone a year really? ago. So he had been That's filming awesome. with like a fancy, you know, A7S yeah, two setup. Okay. He, he would change his lenses to get cool different skate angles. How did the how did the audience, did they react to a difference in quality or were they like, this is still great. I wasn't I paying mean, attention to the quality. Honestly, what's interesting about him is he went through waves like we all do, right? Mm -hmm. With views and stuff. And the moment he just focused on skating and, and specific themes, and uh, just him and his iPhone and his Joby Gorilla Pod, and that's he just focused on the skating. His views haven't. I'm not saying iPhone is equal to views, <laughs> but I think he shifted his focus to maybe things that more of the audience was more receptive to. Um, and he's never been doing better. So I think you can find that as encouragement to guys start with your iPhone, yeah. start with your Galaxy, whatever. Um, it's really tangible this whole video thing now but hopefully an iphone because yeah well it has, it has super wide and if you're doing skate videos if you want yep. that sweet yeah. fish islands yeah something <laughs> else i found uh, when it comes to quality because i think a lot of people look at our videos or pete's yeah. videos like right off the bat and they're like i want to do tech let's just get a nice camera and get started and i think that can actually make the quality the quality in air quotes both better and worse at the same time mm -hmm. Because if you don't know what you're doing with, let's say a camera yeah. with a shallow depth of field, mm -hmm. you will suddenly have that expensive shallow depth of field mm -hmm. look, but things will be in focus less often. You know what I mean? So it's kind of a challenge. Like you can't just look at quality as the only differentiator. You gotta, you gotta totally. find other, other ways to, to make the yeah. video unique. And there's so many other things, audio and lighting, yep. which I didn't even focus on until up until honestly the past couple of years and thank god aperture is a thing because they've made it so easy just yeah, put I mean, a big soft box on it and point yeah. it a little off center and boom these are all different worlds that i've just had to get super into there's yeah. a whole you can go to a whole school just for audio yeah. and a whole school just for lighting um all right i want to pivot a little bit yeah so maybe i'm not even pivoting this is kind of going back to your original question yeah um i've always people always ask like can you give me advice on starting mm -hmm. a channel can you help with improving my channel. I wanna ask you, Sarah, mm -hmm. what advice do you have for me? For the, oh, for the MKBHD channel? <laughs> because I, don't, I okay. don't get advice. This is a, this is the thing, like I, I talk to YouTubers all the time yeah. and people that I look up to and people that I've been watching their stuff forever, forever and they're asking me about what I think of things and they're asking right. me how I feel about different industry trends and should we hop on this and like what advice, what do you think we should do next? Where I just wanna be asking them how do you do this or like what what's your strategy behind just things splash water all over my face <laughs> as you're asking me for advice it's fine it's fine <laughs> it's not even a video podcast yeah, you can do whatever you want yeah um and i mr beast is one of the most interesting people to talk yeah. to like his whole philosophy on youtube and analytics is like i could talk about it forever um so i figured i'd ask you 
What uh? What kind I of? I mean, it's an honor, Marquez. I would have never thought you would be asked. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, wow. Let's see. Because there's a there's a bunch of different things I've considered messing with, tweaking right. the dials a little bit, but haven't. We've made videos um, about all different types of tech, but we mm -hmm. could always branch out into more different types of tech. Um, we've made videos in different styles. People have always asked me why I don't vlog in air quotes. Right. Um, and I've thought about that. Like I do wanna show the, like we just had this shoot in California and I thought about what if we vlogged part of like the process of mm -hmm. getting to the shoot yeah. instead of just what we were shooting. Um, I don't know, what, totally. do you, what kind of things yeah. come to mind? Um, for the record guys, Marquez has like 20 times the subscribers as me. So maybe take this with a grain of salt. But um, I will say that with your the quality that you produce, I mean, your videos are so quality. That's your thing, right? Yeah. With that, I think people do have the yearning to see like the exact opposite of that. They want to see again, maybe not vlogging, but the real and raw Marquez. You know, it feels more personal, maybe. Right. Right. Sure. And it's one of those things where. I don't think that means vlogging like all of a sudden your family and the people close to you because even I when I was vlogging every day that was the thing everyone's vlogging I mean that killed me like I hated vlogging mm -hmm. now I do point the camera at myself as a part of my video right I do um, have those elements into it but in the sense of vlogging share, sharing your personal life I wouldn't feel that pressure but you have so many talented individuals around you mm -hmm. um, that maybe that is, you know, them with their, the Canon EOS R um, documenting, asking you questions on the shoot, kind of like off the cuff stuff and thinking more, yeah. less of maybe vloggy, um, but I hate to come back to him again, but more of like, you know, Gary has like a weekly V thing um, that I would definitely check out. That's really um, intriguing to see the behind the scenes. And, right. uh, but I already think you're doing, I mean, you started Waveform. I mean, this is amazing. Waveform is fun. You know? Yeah. And maybe you just start, I don't know, adding things. Maybe you add some video to Waveform and you put it behind your join tab, you know? That might be something that, yeah. Yeah. that might be something that I was like, you know what Sarah does with her podcast that <laughs> yeah. I really like? She does this thing where she has a video version and yeah. she puts it behind the join button on exactly. YouTube. Yeah, that I love that. And I think that's actually probably when we get into our new space gonna be yeah. much cool. more possible. Having a dedicated room I think yeah. will be huge for that. Um, yeah, totally. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. And also I see so many other channels uh have like clips. The, yeah, the clips channels mm. are are like that's like the new way to do it. I guess the Joe Rogan yeah. pioneering yeah, version sure, of that. Yeah. yeah, I've I've had, it's hard to keep up with. Yeah. So that's the hardest part, but I'm starting them back up for that creative life. And what I've found is even working in moments into your podcast that you know will make good thumbnails and titles. Joe's good at that, man. Yeah, yeah. Joe and Jamie, I have to give them credit yeah. because they, oh, totally. they do that very well. Um, yeah. I'm trying to yeah. think, I would, love to see so much of like different types of Marquez in terms of content it just depends how because like obviously you would have to be a little hands-off like you couldn't edit your weekly vlog I feel like or is yeah. he is he the type of person who would um, even edit probably that? would uh. yeah probably would I mean so I think when I think of vlog I don't necessarily think of like vlogging like every little moment, yeah. but the vlog style, which right. is what you're doing, which mm -hmm. is like yeah. pointing the camera at yourself for certain scenarios or certain outdoor environments or something like that. Right. I think I could, especially when 
we talked about it on your podcast, but when the red Komodo comes out, when yeah. there's like a mm-hmm. smaller red with autofocus and yeah. I like can match that color science effortlessly. Oh, that's so funny. I that... bring that everywhere. Um, so I feel like, yeah, that, that might be something I could <laughs> so start doing. contingent on you having a red that you can vlog yeah. with. <laughs> it, it's not so, okay. I've, you have this like awesome 15 mil on yeah. your GH5 and like I've tried essentially vlogging with, not vlog style, with mm-hmm. the Switch Pod and the EOS R and the 13 to... 15 to 35. Yeah. Which is still a it's thick still boy. It's still pretty heavy. Like yeah. trying to hold that at arm's length and yeah. like yeah. it's on crop when I do heavy, 4K. Yeah. So like, do I go to 1080 so I can get it wide enough? Right. And that was like my Cybertruck experience trying to do first person stuff. Yeah. But yeah, I, oh I don't know. Oh my gosh. We would, that might be the first version of 1080 MKBHD that we've seen in a while. Yeah. Very long time. <laughs> I've shot, I think the last 1080p camera that I've shot with because the GoPros are 4K, I think would be the C100. Wow. You have all of RetroTech is 1080 though, isn't it? Uh, really? RetroTech, it's funny. It was shot For... in a variety of resolutions. Okay. We shot some of it on C500 and 4K. We shot some okay. of it on red for the top downs, but then we oh, also yeah. mastered everything down to 1080. So it's a 1080 final export, but it oh, was shot that, in like- Did that hurt your soul? Um, yes. <laughs> One step <laughs> further, bit. did you see on New Year's Eve, the small clip that was on TV? Oh, oh God. No. There, there was just a small clip they had him do for after the ball dropped and they made what? him send it in 720. 720? <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was very specific instruction. I, got, I thought he was gonna say no. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, yeah, well, New Year's Rockin' Eve, we got a little 10-second clip from you wishing Happy New Year to the world. Oh, that's exciting. Can you just send that in? That. I was like, oh, yeah, that'll be great. Uh, Mom and Dad texted me when they saw it. It was great. Yeah. But the instructions were, we just need it to be 16 by 9, 30 FPS, 720p. And I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> I shot it in 8K. And I you <laughs> shot, oh my And I brought God. it to a 720p timeline and I, I cried a little while it was exporting. Oh it took about gosh. six milliseconds to export on the Mac Pro. <laughs> and uh, that was it. The world saw 720p. But you know, wow, that's broadcast television. Wow, how scandalous is that? What's so funny is probably none of your fans actually saw that because it was TV. TV, yeah. No, <laughs> that's, that's broadcast TV is another world Yeah, for sure. Have you ever... Th- had thoughts about you probably do about like youtubers that transition Mm. from youtube Mm -hmm. the world they dominate and have the most intimate like you know experience with stepping stone and they bounce right over to either television or some other mainstream media or some company platform something Mm -hmm. like that is that something you think about as as a youtuber a lot i love hosting things so if it was like an extension of me i would never I would never give up YouTube because it's so, I mean, maybe eventually I might post less or something, but it's such an intimate relationship with one of the like coolest audiences in the world because mm. you get to interact with them, not just on YouTube. They transfer over to Twitter and Instagram. Um, so I see YouTube as a destination, you know, not just a stepping stone to other things because I think we've seen that a lot of people will do that and just fail miserably too. I, I think YouTube is only, gain, I am bullish on YouTube. I yeah. think it's only going up and up and up and digital and everything. I don't even think it's worth separating like digital from like traditional because it's the only thing that will exist. Um, you know, we, we've seen with all these companies, NBC with Peacock and stuff like that, how they're basically, where everything is uh, cyclical 
right? Like they're realizing they have to be on YouTube. Exactly. That and with their own standalone platforms, they're going to be able to play ads again. You know, DVR happened and then no one's watching ads. But now that they've uh, now that they can control the platform, Hmm. um, we're going to probably go back to if we want to watch The Office, have to watch like three ads in the middle if we don't pay $15 a month, you know. So I think we're living in the time that is so good for content creators because everyone wants content. Um, So if someone wanted me to like host something, but I would have zero to do with any of the production totally right. down. It just couldn't be, it couldn't be so involved where I would have to like quit YouTube. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> I don't know. Do you ever have the urge to I, do something like that? No, I never have. I've had the offer, but never the urge. Yeah. Um, I remember specifically, should I, I don't think I should name the company, but I, I was offered <laughs> a full-time, while I was in college, yeah. a full-time TV tech host on a major news network really? job. Really? and like had several meetings about it and was like pretty close to like figuring out, they're like, is this a yes or a no? And I was like on that doorstep. Wow. And it came down to like, I I don't really have any creative control over it and I still really want, and it wasn't like they were like, oh, you have to stop doing YouTube. Yeah. But it would be, it, it just felt like putting all that time into just being like, you know, on this network yeah. wouldn't have been as fulfilling as putting those same hours into making something I want to make. Well, that's what, like what makes you happy. You know, I get a huge hit from, um, this is what I do love and I don't know how that will manifest in the future. But, um, whenever I get to collaborate with brands for, uh, maybe videos on their whatever, and they give you, uh, just say this, that, and that, and go for it. Mm -hmm. And then when you get the feeling of like nailing it in the first take and being like, heck yeah, I, Mm -hmm condensed all those bullet points into a sentence that was that was relatable and also helpful yeah i did that this is why you need me (laughs) yeah (laughs) so i find that extremely fun Mm -hmm. um but we only have so much time in the day right True. yeah yeah no it it just comes down to like what what makes you happy yeah now this has gotten really existential but (laughs) what makes you happy is what you should focus on you you asked me earlier or I said tech advice or human advice and we're getting into some human advice (laughs) human advice we're getting into some yeah do what make heart feel warm (laughs) (laughs) that's what it's gonna be yes amazing that should be the title of the podcast (laughs) (laughs) heart warm yes uh well that's that was I mean that was a great conversation thank you again for joining us on waveform I mean we we could talk all day about the creative process and creative yes. life. But if you want more of this, you should check out Sarah's podcast called That Creative Life. Thank you. Sarah, how do you pronounce your name exactly in case? Sarah Dietschy rhymes with Peachy. So just look that up. Yes. And you'll find. You, you can Google Sarah Peachy. <laughs> you will find her her Twitter, YouTube thank channel, you, yeah. Instagram, all that. And uh, thank you again for listening. Thanks, yeah, thank you. And uh, catch you in the next one. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Thank you, Sarah. When we come back, we're going to talk about a couple new tech releases and some stuff we've seen in the headlines, including Google Glass 2 and uh, Pocophone 2. Stay tuned. Support for this episode of Waveform comes from Gigabyte. There's a lot of talk out there about how AI is revolutionizing our world. Computers are writing newsletters, robotic bees are pollinating flowers, and a whole new wave of driverless taxis are popping up in cities all over the world. But how can AI power our passions and what we do for fun? That's where Gigabyte's AI gaming laptops come in. So their range of powerful and portable new laptops deliver cutting edge performance for anyone looking to explore the brave new world of AI powered gaming. 
So every 2024 Aorus machine comes equipped with the Gigabyte AI Nexus, which is like a central hub located with all the AI powered features you could hope for. So that includes super useful tools like AI Power Gear, which automatically throttles and extends your computer's battery life depending on your power source and usage. You'll also get access to AI Boost, which optimizes performance based on what you're doing in that moment, whether you're ripping through an FPS or running your own large language model. AI Boost automatically adjusts the GPU and processors to maximize responsiveness and deliver unparalleled efficiency. Lastly, AI Generator includes various generative AI apps for quick startup, and all 2024 Gigabyte models seamlessly integrate with tools like OpenAI and Microsoft's Copilot AI chatbot. But the Aorus 16X and the Gigabyte G6X take it to the next level with a dedicated Copilot key, allowing users to swiftly tap into productivity and generative AI capabilities. I also keep hearing AI is gonna change a lot in the gaming world. Andrew, can you think of anything about that? Not just optimization, like you said, but like more personal optimization I could see happening where like maybe you're playing a competitive game like Valorant and you want higher FPS and lower resolution, like you, you're okay versus like The Witcher where you might want 4K crispy resolution and like a lower frame rate. I think finding that between your computer specs and what you want might help out a lot. Nice. So all of the models that I've been talking about are available right now at oris.com slash laptops slash gigabyte dash AI. So that's A-O-R-U-S dot com slash laptops slash gigabyte dash AI. Gigabyte, team up, fight on. All right, we're back. So we had uh, two pretty big, interesting tech things that we wanted to talk Headlines, about or at least yeah. touch on briefly from the past couple of weeks. One of them uh, we can do a little faster, which is Google Glass Enterprise Edition version two. Yeah. It's back. It's there's back. a there's a bunch of different ways that people like to talk about Google Glass. One is that it was uh, just the biggest failure ever. One is that it was super far ahead of its time. One is that it, it set a bad precedent for cameras on faces and now people will never trust it. There's a whole bunch of different ways. Um, yeah, that's a I'm great curious, legacy to have. <laughs> yeah. What, is, what was your, uh, what were your thoughts on Glass never having tried it? Uh, so first I actually remember this is like Google Glass was right around when you and I first met. We were playing on a an ultimate team, the now defunct New Jersey Hammerheads. Right. Um, and I remember you brought it one time. Yeah. And everyone was to... like begging you to wear them to record video of like right. first person ultimate. And yeah. you didn't because they're very expensive and, <laughs> yeah. and like no one really had them back then. But I remember you putting them on and being like, that looks terrible. Yep. I mean, it was—it's a frame with a camera on one side and no frame and no glasses frames. So yeah. I didn't wear glasses at the time. So it just kind of looks like you're wearing a camera on your face, basically. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's pretty obvious why it didn't work out yeah. too well back yeah, then. Yeah, it looks hilarious. But there's also you know the little prism and the swiping gestures on the side and the bone conduction speaker and the yeah. battery on the back and a whole bunch of interesting applications that actually made it really fascinating to wear and mm -hmm. use. Um, I actually broke it out not too long ago. Yeah. It was still working and still paired to a really old phone, so it had like my college classes yeah, in there. You but... brought it in and we got to try it actually, which was was pretty cool. So I got to try it five, six years after it got released. Um, How did there, that make you feel? <laughs> um, it made me feel really dumb putting them on at first, but <laughs> the Prism thing was like, it's one of those things where you're like, this is really neat, but I don't really see myself ever using it or being like that mm -hmm. that like excited about wearing this every day um there's a couple things i did notice though um one of them was that it everything to actuate everything in there besides the swipe function you pretty much said okay class right mm -hmm. was that 
predating uh, OK Google, which I probably just set off everybody's on the podcast. Yep. Sorry. Yes, that <laughs> yeah. did. Uh, that did actually pre. No, that didn't predate the Google hot word. I think they were both pretty really? early around the same time. Okay, I would have assumed they would have done OK G word on the glass yeah. if it wasn't. But either way, I th- I think like that. So first of all, the Google Glass two. Mm-hmm. Which the reason it's in headlines now is because they're letting you directly buy it. It actually released May of last year, but is mostly being used for like enterprise, yeah, uh, so and it's like a, workplaces. Yeah, it came out as Google Glass Enterprise Edition Two mm-hmm. Developer Kit, and so again, if you want to develop your apps for Glass, then you can get a hold of one of these and work on your app for Glass. Um, but you can also order one. I ordered one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I got a tracking number today, which says it will be delivered. Friday morning. Wait, like this Friday? This Friday morning, yeah. So like when this gets released, yep. we should have class. I will have, uh, I'll tweet it when I get it and take a picture of myself wearing it and so it'll be great. That is the thing though. If I understand this correctly, it's not being sold as a frame. It's only being, it's being sold as kind of like the arm of a pair of glasses and you replace the arm on a pair of glasses. Basically, yeah. So we're gonna have to get a pair of glasses to put it on? Mm, or no, you can just wear gonna... just the frame. There is just a frame? Yeah, and it looks kind of weird. The same way original glass did, where it'll just be that titanium oh, frame okay. and the nose rest, and the, it will just rest over your okay. eyes. Okay, the picture I'd seen on it was of, like, on a pair of safety glasses already. So I guess the thing is, is that you're, most people will want to take it off of that frame and put it on the safety glasses they probably have to use at work. Right. Um, so that's a little different. I think it looked looks better it sounds weird we see all these ar glasses and like smart glasses coming out and they always look way too big yeah so like even though you're gonna add this big chunk onto the side and a little prism onto a pair of safety glasses it still looked better than way better than the original frame yeah better than some other things i think it looks better and i'm just i'm generally curious if the functionality will be better or smoother I mean, it's been a couple a while since yeah. we had the original one, obviously. My favorite app for Glass was one of the built-in ones. Um, and there's a bunch of things that thing did. It had you know, notifications from your phone. You could mm-hmm. ask it what the weather was and swipe through and look at that. My favorite application was Maps. Because okay. you know whenever you're walking around and you're not sure which direction you should mm-hmm. be pointed, even when you like get out the subway or get out of your Uber and you like walk out of the sidewalk, you're like spinning in a circle. Like, which yeah, way should yeah. I point? You open the Maps app in Glass, and there's an arrow pointing the direction that you should start walking, okay. and then you can follow the arrow to your your navigation destination. That's awesome. Although I'm reluctant to think how well it works. I mean, then I don't have to hold my phone out all the time. But right. every single time I try and use my Google Maps while walking it takes at least one block for the phone to figure out which direction I'm facing. And like, it's usually the wrong way. The compass you can calibrate and ideally that would hopefully make it faster than a block. Uh But yeah, that that was my, at least just following the arrow. We could be driving and following the arrow. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was fun. Uh, But I'm just just curious to see if it's smoother, faster. So it does say there's a new processor and USB-C are the hardware upgrades, but you can only imagine how much Google software has progressed in the last six years mm-hmm. that I think that's going to be the biggest difference of what this can do. Um, it's crazy that it's been out for a year and we haven't really gotten to try it, but you needed like a special provider yeah. through a, a workplace to get it. So I'm glad we're getting it now. Yeah, I'm excited to see it. And I'm excited to see if 
software has really changed the experience that much or if it's still going to be like hey i tried this for 30 minutes and now i never want to put it on my face again you to be fair when i was wearing it in college and walking around hoboken you felt like like everyone was looking at you yeah. when you walk down the street wearing it. I don't think that's going to be different in 2020. I don't but think so either. It'll yeah. still be interesting to see how good yeah. the software actually is. I'm kind of excited to see it. So that's out. Uh, also, we wanted to mention Pocophone X2. Yeah. So the Pocophone is back. The, the brief. Is, oh man. <laughs> so the brief history of the Pocophone is it was a sub brand of Xiaomi. Two mm-hmm. years ago, they made the Pocophone F1. Uh, F1 standing for F O N E phone. Yeah. And so the Pocophone was one of the best, widely considered, in fact, I gave it an award, the best budget phone of that year. Had yeah. a very impressive uh, camera for the price. Oh, I'm trying to remember what the exact price was. It felt like around 200 It was, it was under bucks. 300, for, at least for the like lower model. There was also that carbon fiber model uh, that yeah. I think most people did their videos on, which was slightly over three. Right. But, um, but the specs... I think the specs were pretty similar between the two of them. Yeah. So it had a pretty great spec list for the price. Then you ended up with uh, a pretty stock version of Android and a plastic phone, and hey, you're rocking. Yeah. So the Pocophone X2 is now, I think it's out in India now, mm-hmm. and it's coming or out- February 11th. Okay. It's coming out very soon, and it also has a pretty impressive spec list. It's kind of banking on the same thing, but they've blocked off into their own separate company essentially i don't know how official that is or if they're still a sub brand yeah i have a feeling there's still sometimes because they're still using miui i think miui 11 i think is the newest one it said they're using so it's like not totally and it seems like they're really gunning after realme which has been like a huge competitor to xiaomi especially in that that indian market yeah Um, so yeah the specs read the specs off let's see i'm gonna i'm gonna look at the spec list Mm -hmm. here so snapdragon 730g now that's not the highest end chip, an yeah. Adreno 618 GPU. I remember the Pocophone F1 had like the latest Snapdragon 845. Yeah. So that's a down step here. Yeah. Six or eight gigs of RAM, 256 gigs of UFS 2.1 storage, 4500 milliamp hour battery, 27 watt fast charging, and then quad rear cameras, 65 megapixel main camera, eight megapixel ultra wide, a two megapixel macro, and a two megapixel depth sensor, then a 20 megapixel selfie and a depth sensor in a hole punch cutout in the front. Those are all the the Sony sensors also. Okay, and then all of them with 120 Hertz LCD screen. Pricing starting around 225 bucks with the top model being under 300 bucks in US dollars. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the main thing that jumps out to me is 120 Hertz. Yeah, basically this is, I am really happy about this phone mainly for that reason and i think like even if you don't have the highest end chip if you have that 730g even if you only have ufs 2.1 storage instead of 3.0 even if you don't have the pure stock android latest version the 120 hertz display is going to make the device feel that much faster Mm -hmm. more fluid and snappier most of the time yeah Uh, and i think you'd notice that with if you'd stayed at 60 or 90 hertz and put a higher end cpu in there you wouldn't have felt the difference as much yeah this feels to me like uh do you know how like pixel 3a is we're downgrading all these things and we have an awesome camera mm-hmm. this feels like that but with a high refresh rate screen yeah like they took their their cuts to make and they didn't just go 90 hertz they went 120 hertz like 
Yeah. That's a big step on a, a sub $300 yeah, a phone. $225 phone. Yeah, that's an incredible price again. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm very interested to see what this 120 hertz LCD looks like. Yeah. Because I haven't seen really many low-end 120 hertz displays in phones. No. We've seen it in the ROG phone. We've seen it in some other undisclosed phones. Well, and Razer phone that's now two years old. Like, I'd be interested to compare it to the, a two-year-old Razer phone. Right. Um, I also wonder how much that phone is going for. Right that razor phone the original razor phone was 120 right it didn't have the longest life i mean there's no, still no, there's, there quite. might be another razor phone 3 coming out for all i know but uh yeah i'd be i'd be curious to see this display i, I don't know if it put it in the specs if it's 1080 or it's 1080 it's yeah. 1080 okay mm -hmm. yeah i mean we'll see how it looks yeah i do think the thing people are gonna have the biggest issue with though even though we just said 120 or it's gonna make everything feel snappy i'm pretty sure in some benchmarks the Snapdragon 730 performs worse than the 845 that was in the F1 Ooh, two years ago. Interesting. So like that's not that's a great pretty, look. That's where they're cutting yeah. corners. Yeah, I mean, on a phone like the the Poco phones, we've seen where they cut corners is typically the build quality. They yeah. go straight to plastic because hey, who wants a glass and phone? And it's great. Yeah, that's, that's fine. Um, and then they've they've tried to keep all the specs up and a big enough battery that you don't really feel any other big cutouts. So how bad how bad is the snapdragon 730g yeah. is another question i think i'm going to try to get my hands on this phone i think for sure. pocophone that's one you got to check out pocophone yeah i would argue pocophone was like in the the smartphone like industry or any enthusiast knew what the pocophone was in 2018 it whether you loved it whether you thought it was a <laughs> meme it was out there i loved every second of it yeah um, I'm really excited for this, but the interesting thing is, is they said this is not the predecessor to the F1. So do we think an F2 is gonna come out? Oh, and this my is... guess would be an F2, because it's X2, it's not F2. Oh. So is this, huh. this is not really the next, the new Pocophone F1. This is Pocophone as their new okay. branded company so releasing a phone. So do we think there's going to be a Pocophone F2 is the question? And will it have like a higher end spec sheet and maybe an OLED display or something and I'm, cost a little more? I would definitely say if an F2 were going to come out, it would have to have a snap, the latest Snapdragon because that that's what they built F1 off of. You know what reminds me of a little bit? What? OnePlus. When they started, the OnePlus One, uh -huh. um, and it, they have a little bit of a different story, but it was like, holy smokes, the OnePlus One came out this phone is 300 something dollars and it has every single spec. Mm -hmm. Now they cut some corners, there's no wireless charging, there's not as great of a camera and it's an LCD, but like they've, they got everything else yeah. and they had great software support. Uh, now I don't know how good software support's gonna be with mm -hmm. the Pocophone series, but it kind of does have that sort of same beginning story. Well now they'll start to creep up in price slowly, year after year, Pocophone F2, a little more expensive. Pocophone F3, a little more expensive, but hey, we put in a higher end display. Pocophone F4, let's drop in uh, some fast charging and some things. You know, I don't know. I don't know what the the future roadmap looks like for them, but that's what it reminds me of. Yeah, it's interesting. I I if I had to venture a guess, I would say there is an F2 in the works because I can't imagine the company coming out and specifically saying this is not the the new F series. This is the X2. Okay, like. There seems to be no reason to say that. So it was Pocophone yeah. coming out and telling people, hey, by the way, this is the X2, not the yeah. successor to the F1. Mm -hmm. Okay, so they're playing an F2, yeah, sounds like. it sounds like it. And and I would guess, I mean, I would guess it's very similar to this. A lot of people are saying they think this 
is more of a competitor to the real me x2 which is hilarious because they literally named it the same thing there's a lot um, of that happening <laughs> there's very similar things there's a couple little differences um couple things went out on the real me couple things went out on pocophone but hmm. it seems like they're launching that in a the same market and versus that at a, a slightly lower price than real me x2 so yeah i don't think this is the pocophone we're waiting for right. i'm excited <laughs> to try it but i i don't think this is like the i'm getting like insane pc gamer specs in my 300 hundred dollar phone kind yeah. of deal like the f1 was so maybe this isn't the pocophone we're waiting for but this is the pocophone that a lot of people who were buying the real me because it's the only good option at that price yeah we're maybe waiting for as far as competition yeah i'm right. still interested to see it though yeah well we'll try to get it in our hands here at the studio um as you you must with a pocophone mm-hmm. that's just the nature of what we do uh, but yeah, I think that's that's pretty much it. Those yep. are the big headlines. We got a bunch of stuff, uh, and I mean a bunch of stuff yeah, coming up. Like for literally February. next week, I think is going to be insane. It's going to be a lot. Um, I think I've mentioned this in the last. Po- I definitely mentioned this. Yeah, January walked, so February can run, and it, we're even like getting into February a little bit, and everyone's looking at their watches like, "What mm-hmm. do you mean, Marquez?" Trust me, it's it's that's coming how, up. That's how I felt when I was doing the previous content in this i was like oh we've got to have a bunch of videos february has been nuts and i looked and we had two and one of them was just the play button so yeah there's a there's a lot of stuff this might be the most stuff we've i've ever had like shopped and Uh not immediately like went to editing and uploading like we just talked about that last episode yeah where we don't do that ever and we have multiple projects this is probably the most filled your hard drives i was gonna say that at this very moment i have over a terabyte of various footages and projects uh anyway that's enough teasing you guys know what's coming up so stay tuned to the channel maybe we'll have an extra podcast episode dropped in there just to like keep everything in check so anyway stay tuned for that kind of stuff thanks for listening and we'll catch you guys in the next one waveformers produced with studio 71 and our intro outro music is created by cameron barlow